welcome to the Proper Mental Podcast. Normalising open and honest conversations about mental health by having open and honest conversations about mental health. Welcome to episode 157 of the Proper Mental Podcast. My guest this week is Reed Amber, who is a proud sex worker, a sex educator, an anti-shamer and an activist. She is also the co-founder of Come Curious, a leading channel about sex and relationships, and she's the co-host of the award-winning Fucks Given podcast. And Reed describes herself as an anxious child, and she became aware of her mental health from a young age. But it wasn't until she went to university that OCD really got a grip of her. And in this episode, Reed guides me through her early experiences that led to her being diagnosed with OCD. And we chat about the different ways that obsessive compulsive disorder has affected Reed over the years. We talk about the different themes and the way it manifests, the impact that it's had, and all the different ways that she's tried to manage it and to live with it. We talk about being addicted to drugs and addicted to phones. We talk about body image, resisting medication. We talk about different types of therapy. We talk about breakdowns and breakthroughs. We also chat a lot about sex and Reed's work in the sex industry, particularly the work she does around anti-shaming. Shame and guilt are both words that are far too often associated with both sex and mental illness and it was wonderful to kind of explore this complicated topic with Reed. She was so much fun to chat to, so easy to chat to. We just kind of jumped onto Zoom and started chatting and just fell into this conversation. It was an absolute pleasure. I think we could have both talked for hours and hours and hours, but it was Reed's birthday and she had a party to get to, so we had to kind of call it short at the end. But yeah, it was wonderful. Reed has done an incredible amount of work on herself and she really understands how her own mind works. She really understands the kind of the bigger picture of mental health and mental illness. And she's got some really fascinating insights into how all this stuff works from her own perspective, but also from other people's perspectives. I think there's going to be a lot of moments in this that people feel really seen or a lot of moments where you kind of think, ah, that makes sense or ah, that could be me. I know that was certainly the case for me chatting to Reed, and yeah, it was just an absolute pleasure. Yeah, she's absolutely lovely. I've put links to all her socials in the episode notes. She does a few different things. It's all in there. There's a link there to her OnlyFans as well. And if you'd like to watch this episode rather than listen to it, you can do so on the Proper Mental Patreon page. It's £5 a month to join the community and you get early access to all the episodes as I record them. You get all the videos that aren't available anywhere else. And you get to support this podcast to keep it independent, to keep it ad-free. I'm just getting ready to put some Patreon hangouts together so we'll all jump on Zoom and just spend an evening just having a chat about whatever we want to chat about. And if you'd like to get involved in that and join the community, the link is in the episode notes. I'm pretty sure that's everything you need to know. So this is episode 157 of the Proper Mental Podcast with Reed Amber. Thank you very much for listening. Enjoy. Just to kind of like set the scene a little bit. 
and I'll tell people a little bit about you and where they can find you and all the links and all that sort of stuff. And then that means like for this bit, we don't have to do like a really cringy, like, oh, so tell me about yourself. Because I always feel like so awkward when really? you know what I, mean? when, yeah, I yeah. used to until we saw a like a life coach and she was like, fucking own it. Like own that part. Obviously, you can't speak for other people, but you always yeah. feel so like, oh, I do this, this and this. And she was like, no, like you need to big yourself up and fucking like know what you're saying. Be like, I do this, this and this. I'm a badass. And I was like, OK, shit. And now now I quite enjoy it. Yeah, it takes, well, takes time. Yeah, that's no, I like that reframing. That's good, man. Um, <laughs> I'll do a little, uh, yeah, just a little introduction and then yeah, Ooh. we'll just drop drop straight in. Tech-wise, am mm. I okay? Because there isn't a peaking thing on here and I tend to get really loud and animated and sometimes my mic peaks. No, uh, it's got I can sort all that out in the um yeah, yeah in the edit. Yeah, that's no no problem at all. You sound okay, great. Sweet. Yeah, it's wicked. Cool. cool. So um here we are with another episode of the Proper Mental Podcast. And my guest this week is Reed Amber. How are you, mate? Hi, I am so excited to be on this podcast, talk about mental health, because uh, we just don't get the opportunity on our pod. Um, yeah, 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 I'm excited so well. to like dive in deep, like fully deep it today. Let's right. go. <laughs> We're going to go for it, right? Straight in. That's awesome. Man. I'm I'm really proud of us, Reed, because we've made it happen. We've We've worked hard to to make it happen this evening haven't we so (laughs) hard this has been one of those podcasts that like and it probably is mostly all my fault rescheduling and rescheduling because life is chaotic and sometimes you just don't have the energy to do an hour long two hour long recording or life gets in the way so I really appreciate your flexibility because my life is chaos beautiful chaos couldn't live any other way but still mad chaos Oh, mate. Well, no, I really appreciate you uh, making time for it and coming back to it. And uh, yeah, it's um, like it's awesome. Awesome to be here. Awesome to be here. And we let's let's start with that chaos, mate, because I know that you do <laughs> lots of different things. Yeah. How do you describe what you do? How do you even begin to kind of break it down if you had to put it in a nutshell? Uh, to, to put it plainly, I'm a sex educator, but I'm not the sex educators we got at school. I think that's what we think of. Um, I don't have any degrees or qualifications, but I'm someone who talks openly and honestly about sex, my personal sex life. And I've learned a lot in the process and I just try and relay that information to other people to help them feel better about not just their sex life, but also their, their you know, themselves and the, the world that they live in and the kinks and fetishes that they might have. Or again, I talk about mental health and also body image online. So trying to trying to make people feel good i think is is the baseline trying to help people to accept themselves because it's not easy these days to really feel good within yourself especially if you do suffer with mental health issues like like me i i got a whole bag full so <laughs> yeah i i think it's really interesting to me the sort of there's a lot of similarities i think between uh mental health issues mental illness mm-hmm. and with sex in the way yeah, that huge. society likes to make us feel about these things right mm-hmm. and the first word that jumped out to me is shame there's a certain amount of oh. shame that we're asked to feel about both of those things yeah and the shame i was thinking about the best way to phrase it right normally if i have like um i don't know say i had a musician on right mm-hmm. and uh to open up the conversation i'd say like oh have you always been interested in music and it's a little bit different when you work in the sex industry right <laughs> so like, been interested <laughs> <Yes>. in sex? <laughs> but the, <laughs> yeah. the shame around sex often starts when we're younger 
Right. Super young, like ad- adolescence, maybe even before we even really know what sex is, mm. especially growing up with like watching it on the TV or the way that people talk about it or the way that your parents talk about sex to you or chose not to talk about sex to you. That already builds shame because and I find it really rare to find parents that are so open with their kids about sex because it feels like weird and icky and like barriers and lines cross. And how much do you say and how much don't you say? I don't have kids, so I can't comment, but I definitely feel like I have a healthier a healthier look around sex because of the way that my parents were around sex um, and nudity especially um, my mom's Danish so like being nude is really really normal in Denmark it's just like yeah not not a big thing we're really really covered up in this country so being around my mom and my dad naked a lot of the time and talking about sex and um, talking about it quite matter-of-factly there was no fucking birds and bees or stork story it was it was the facts which was very valuable when it came to sex. But that didn't stop the shame that I created for myself, the shame that, uh, well, let's not say created for myself, that sounds kind of harsh, um, the shame that still happened with my parents the and, and how society made me feel when it came to sex, especially someone who is very not just I, I don't just like sex and everything to do with it I'm obsessed and I have been obsessed since I was young I, it's always been the thing that I've been excited about and interested in I, I can't read books I do not read books I'm dyslexic I'm neurospicy ADHD and the only thing I enjoy reading and actually actively do is reading about sex whether or not that's like erotic literature or understanding more about the psychology behind sex. It's fascinating. Going back to shame, I have a tickle fetish and talking about fetishes, something that I feel really comfortable and confident now in, back maybe when I was like 26, I'm just about to turn 23, (laughs) yay. Uh, Back when I was like 26 younger, I repressed my fetish because of the shame, because of the fear of people finding out and... And I was so unsatisfied, sexually unsatisfied for most of my life because of it. I forgot to mention, I'm not just a sex educator. I'm also a sex worker. So big on changing the rules and normalizing sex work. I have an OnlyFans account. I should really mention that. Um, And also a co-host to Come Curious Fucks Given podcast, which is all about sex. We talk about all of this there. So how I'm really interested in kind of how you went from feeling that that shame as a as a young woman mm. to stepping into a place where you can talk about these things and enjoy these things and like express yourself authentically and sexually because it seems like a big a big leap. I think particularly the way society does it is so different for men and women. Like it's mm-hmm. so like it's pretty much it's accepted, isn't it, that like teenage boys are like wanking themselves to death like well yeah that's the stereotype yeah and and then like women it's more like women tend to sort of masturbate and pretend they don't right yeah that seems to be that i mean it might be different now i'm certainly thinking back to to like my my teenage years but how did you go to like Mm -hmm. yeah how did you learn to i suppose bypass that that self-stigma that shame and like start stepping into this stuff fully it took, it did take a long while. I was bullied at school for being open about masturbating. I remember like I was in an all girls school and the rumor spread and everyone was like, oh my God, you don't retouch yourself. And I was like, like I, I just couldn't understand why people thought it was weird. I don't know whether or not that's because 
maybe there's um, spectrum vibes in- involved. My mom has an autism diagnosis and maybe we've learned some stuff of her, but I was just like, I don't understand. Like, why is this uh, gossip? Why is everyone talking about it? Like, don't you masturbate? I couldn't understand it. Um, and I think you're right. There is that stereotype of like young teenage boys masturbate loads and it's just widely accepted. Oh, boys will be boys. And then women, it's like, hush, hush and don't tell anyone. And of course, I think it's I think it's a little bit different now. I think it's um, especially back then, teenage boys were were laughed at, were still shamed for masturbating. I feel like now at the moment it's really cool and empowering for women to masturbate and have sex toys, but there's still not enough when it comes to men and masturbation and men using sex toys. Even in like the films we see, it's kind of a laughing point for men to masturbate, but for women, it's very, oh, sexy and beautiful and like innocent. When that's not the fucking case for me, it's definitely not goddamn innocent. I'm like there with like every single vibrator I can fit in my whole body, you know? I'm just like loving it. Um. But I think with masturbation, I I knew it was something that I loved and I knew it was something that was natural because, again, I wasn't taught how to masturbate. I just touched my body and I did what felt good. Um, And I felt like that was that was like, you know, that's just normal. That's natural. I mean, that masturbation is natural. It is normal. It's part of being human. Uh, we we use masturbation as a stress reliever, as a really great tool to make us feel good. It gives us endorphins. It helps us sleep at night. There's so many variables with masturbation. And I just still don't understand why people have such a problem with it. And people go all like weird and embarrassed and icky about it. Um I mean, of course, I do understand. I've had that through most of my life of not being able to or thinking that I was really empowered about sex. And then actually when it came down to asking somebody what I actually want, that's a huge step. I'm still working on that. I feel like I'm only just getting to it um, and kind of just insinuating what I want rather than being like, no, no, no. I actually want you to do this, this and this. This is the format for me that helps me reach an orgasm with you. Uh, we've gone on to... Um, partnered sex now haven't we instead of we've just like leapfrogged over from solo sex to partnered sex yeah well I think anything where um I'm really big on like authenticity and I think Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter what part of ourselves we're talking about if we suppress that if we push it down if we feel shame about it and try and ignore it the impact that uh, that has on our mental state is huge right and it oh my god like I with with my tickle fetish because again i was never honest about it i would be stuck in those shame wanks like lying late at night watching my falling asleep boyfriend at the time being like oh, i really hope he doesn't wake up and see me masturbating over all of this porn or like thinking about it and it it, it the more you bury it deep and the more you try and repress it the the worse the urges get i swear it just becomes this whole catch 22 um but what i've done like with 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 shame is reframe shame in terms of actually learning to enjoy the shame so instead of feeling horribly like yeah like like there's something wrong with me actually learning to enjoy that feeling and being like mm, well if i if i didn't feel shame for this i probably wouldn't love it as much because it would be more widely accepted and okay. And so now I'm kind of trying to tap into 
oh my god that makes me feel like so cringe so shameful <gasps> I'm so embarrassed and like learning to love it and it's becoming more of a turn-on for me so that's been really fun it's not easy to do that though but it's been really fun yeah that makes so much sense right because we're always everyone any therapist worth their soul is going to tell you to feel your feelings and yes. it's almost like it's like feel your full range of emotions <laughs> Apart from shame, don't feel that one. Uh, don't don't feel guilt. Don't feel that one. But feel oh, yeah. the rest of them. Just sit in it, right? So yeah, that makes so much uh, so much sense, mate. I feel like we'd be would be a lot happier if we were just like very honest, not just with our, ourselves, but our partners and our friends. Like, I feel a lot of shame around this. Okay, like let's let's like enjoy the shame rather than fighting it. Because sometimes you can't fight shame. Sometimes it's just too great. Society thinks too much of it. You know, I'm I'm very grateful that I have a tickle fetish, which again is is something that's still quite widely accepted. It's not really seen as anything too crazy, but I mean, if it was something else, if it was like scat play, for example, God, that would be really, really difficult to deal with. For people who don't know what scat play that it's like it's the it's poo-poo. Playing with poo-poo. So that's yeah. A, yeah, that's a harder sell, right? <laughs> it is a harder, a harder sell. sell. I mean, yeah. can't yuck someone's yum. I like try everything once and I like I'm fascinated about people who are into really, really obscure, uncommon things. But it would it would be really hard if you had that kind of a fetish. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I always think like with sex, you can't really you can't win, right? Because if you like uh if you're very experimental and expressive well then you're mm. going to get slut shamed by society yeah they're going to say oh, you, it's too much um if you just quite like very sort of run-of-the-mill boring sex well then you're boring right Do yes you know what I mean? that's exactly like, yeah it's like People prude are... shaming almost yeah like oh my god that's so vanilla like no vanilla is beautiful and wonderful and sexy like life would be so good if we were all into vanilla sex but we're very complex compared to that we try really hard to talk about that on the podcast because i think that gets slip to the side it's now we're now we're moving into oh my god you're monogamous <gasps> you're not non-monogamous and non-monogamy is now seen as this like next level of a relationship when it's just not it is not making your relationship morally and and exciting it monogamy is beautiful when it works for people and non-monogamy is beautiful when it works for people and it's complicated on both sides it doesn't matter what you're doing so yeah can we just stop shaming the monogamous vanilla people they're, they're, they're what makes the world go around guys <laughs> that's it just do do what makes you happy doesn't it that's that's yeah. what, it, what it comes down to express yourself yeah man. yes where if we're gonna um without thinking of a, like a clever way of segueing into it but with regards to the mental health stuff when does that start for you Reed? when does when are you sort of you know your earliest memories of kind of uh this stuff oh, earliest memories it's early for me we've done i've done so much work with my therapist i see a therapist every thursday oh i'm actually seeing two therapists at the moment so we might want to talk about that i'm seeing another therapist to um yeah with my mum my mum and i are having couples therapy which is pretty crazy um it's a lot of therapy though so you know that's going to be nipped in the bud soon i don't know if i'd recommend all this therapy um but for me my mental health issues started earliest memory was probably when i went into secondary school so from the ages of like 11 12 13 i would say very very clearly remember 
not being able to eat my lunch and being stuck in the toilet shitting my guts out because of anxiety manifesting in my stomach and causing me a lot of IBS issues, um, which I still get today. Thanks. Thanks, IBS. <laughs> you tricksy fucker. Um, oh, am I allowed to swear? I should really yes, swear. I've got. I find it very hard to talk about like mental health without swearing, right? Yeah, it's, like, it's got to be done. Same with it's sex. Gotta be it's done. Just yeah, like, that's mm, it. You got to swear. It's the lingo. Yeah, I, I always find it's um, it's, it's quite interesting between when people know that something's not right, and mm-hmm. then the gap between that and when they get a name for it, depending yeah. on the size of that gap tends mm-hmm. to be how much chaos someone's experienced sometimes, you know? So yeah. how, 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 what was that like for you, if, you know, from that early age? Um, I mean, did anyone else know things were wrong? Like how did that sort of progress? No, I remember going to the doctor with my mum and the doctor saying that I had, I was getting headaches in my stomach. No one knew what anxiety was back then. Um, it's so clear now that I was an anxious, anxious kid. Um, my OCD must have started really young. I It got progressively worse throughout secondary school. Um, and I think it got worse because I buried it down so deep. I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't taught how to talk about my anxiety and my emotions. Um, and I buried it so, so, so deep that, you know, no one, I don't think anyone really saw it because it was always happy, smiley, extroverted, excited. Everything's great all the time. Um, But looking back, I was a really, really unwell, anxious kid. Um, It got worse when I started university. Oh God. Yeah. University sucked. I had a really tough time during that time, especially because I also found drugs like wow drug like taking drugs that took all of what was in my head away that took all of the OCD thoughts away and all of the bad feelings and even just for a split second I was I was free so of course I built a dependency on drugs because that was my escapism um, as well as how to to deal with life how to tolerate life and I went through my toughest time after university where I went through I would say like, uh, yeah, everything from mental breakdowns to um, a psychotic episode to uh, not being able to leave the house for months, not being able to work, not being able to eat properly. My OCD was out of control. It was, there was a lot going on, but I was also at that time very heavily addicted to drugs and smoking weed and just not coping at all and also not not knowing that it was mental health issues not understanding I just thought that that was normal I thought that that was the way I was supposed to feel was smiling all that I am happy I am happy but really deep inside it was that overwhelming crushing like uh severe depression severe anxiety um unable to do my day-to-day it got so bad and in the end I went to the doctor and they they tried to put me on antidepressants but that's when I had um uh, I I really didn't want to do antidepressants and I don't want to say this because I don't want to scare any anyone away from antidepressants because they can be amazing and they can really work for some people it didn't work for me and I ended up not doing so well on them um and then I went to therapy and I remember when the doctor was like, I think you need to go to therapy. We're going to send you to therapy. I was, 
I was, I was, oh my God. And my hypochondria was so bad. I was in the doctor's surgery twice a month at the very least with something new, with a new problem with, with I'm dying. There's something going on. There's something wrong with me. Um, and it, and of course my IBS was out of control, out of control. It was always either constipated or shitting my guts out. Um, and it didn't really matter what I did. Uh, so yeah, that, going to therapy I was just I like laughed I remember just being like I don't need therapy I don't want to go to therapy I hated therapy when I went when I first went for the first I think four therapists I saw I thought it was the biggest piece of bullshit that I'd ever gone to I couldn't understand it it didn't click for me I was also playing like moody angsty teenager like no this isn't going to work. You're not going to help me. All I wanted was to take a pill and for it all to go away. And of course, you realize that isn't possible, especially not with the deep, deep and anxious state that my brain was in. Yeah, that's so um, that. Yeah, a lot of that's quite relatable to me, Reed. You know, I remember <laughs> starting therapy and very much like I'd come out of the sessions and be like, got away with it again this week didn't have to, uh, <laughs> yes! you know, like didn't didn't have to sort of reveal anything. And I, I, yeah. I kind of thought I was so scared to say some of the things that were going around my head. Yeah. And I thought if I say it, this guy's going to have me locked up for a start. Absolutely. You know? Yeah. I, I, I didn't feel like I could, I was so far removed from having any idea what this stuff was. Like I couldn't mm-hmm. even begin to talk about it. And also once you start talking, well, then you've got to do something about it. Mm-hmm. And that's fucking scary too, right? Is that- <gasps> well, you, you go through the worst. when Once you talk about it, once you actually acknowledge it, especially with somebody that helps you be accountable for it and helps you come face to face with it, you go through the worst stages of therapy. Because it's like, it's like when you go to therapy, it doesn't click for ages. It doesn't work. You don't really gel for a while. It may be like three or four sessions and then something will happen where where you're like, oh, okay, I get it now. But then you go through that stage of, oh, fuck, now I have to face all of the worst horrible things in my head, bring that out to the surface. And that can literally send you off the rails and you can feel like your world is ending and you can feel awful about yourself and awful about the people around you. I remember feeling like, like I was the worst person in the entire world. And I I did not cope, especially with exposure therapy and OCD. That was so tough, but it, it wasn't until I, my fourth therapist, um, her name was Fleur, shout out Fleur from years and years and years ago where she finally, I don't think she was getting through to me. It wasn't really working. She finally revealed that she had OCD. And that's when it clicked for me, when I realized that someone who had OCD, could it was actual living proof that they could manage it and have a job and be in an, be in an office and be able to help somebody else. And I was like, fuck, if she can do it, I can do it. It gave me hope because I also didn't believe them when she said I had OCD either. I was like, fuck off. Like, I don't flick light switches. I don't count numbers. That isn't me. And she was like, mm, it's you. And I, I I still didn't believe it. It still took me years. Like, all of that imposter syndrome of like, I, I don't have OCD. Sometimes I still get that. Or I'm like, is it really OCD that I have? Because it's not what we've grown up to believe is OCD. It's the same with therapy. Therapy is not what you've seen in movies and TV. Therapy is having a chat with somebody. Therapy is like like a puzzle, like a, a, a personalized puzzle for your brain where you get to learn more about yourself. And 
that's really horrible at the beginning, but you learn to love it. Like I fucking love it. I love going to my therapist. And when something new comes up that I'm like, oh, never thought about that before. I'm like, oh my God, I'm I'm so into it. I'm so like, wow, that was, that's so fucked up. That explains why I behaved like that and reacted like that because of this. And I'm like, oh, this is great. Like really, really positive about it. Unless, you know, when it's really, when it's a really tough, tough session, when you're walking out like, crying but like even then I'm still like it was such a good session like I really unlocked <laughs> shit like oh fuck like when can yeah. I come back I always, uh, I always yeah. enjoy those um those shock waves that come where you come out of the session and you're a bit like well you know that was a bit you know a bit mediocre and then maybe two days later you're like oh, doing the, doing the, the washing up or something and something just goes like a little light bulb comes on and you go fuck that's what I was supposed to get to this week and yeah. it kind of like you know you yeah. almost have to sit down it becomes so so vivid but or the ones where you sit you sit in a session you're like I'm fine today I've got nothing to talk about and then everything comes out and you're like oh shit I didn't know that was deep in there okay all right you're good yeah I saw um, a meme the other day it's like <laughs> when you walk into therapy and your therapist says how's things and you're yeah yeah I'm fine and they go oh great so why are you here today yeah I'm not fine yeah <laughs> it, yeah it always starts oh. the same way doesn't it I still really yeah. struggle with that it's like so what would you like to talk like deal with today and I'm like I don't know I actually don't know and then it all comes out during the session yeah, yeah fuck I mean I always like sometimes I don't know I just feel like I need to have a laugh with my therapist I laugh with my therapist a lot because that's how I cope I cope with humor I cope with laughter and I'm like oh that's because my dad abandoned me <laughs> and she's there like trying so hard not to laugh but she's laughing on the inside I know I know she is oh I love it. <laughs> it's um it's really interesting actually what you said then about uh, about OCD, about that mm -hmm. diagnosis, because that's something that's so common with people I speak to on this show is that when OCD first gets mentioned, their first thought is like, well, I don't, you know, I don't have to wash my hands loads like that. Yeah. It can't be me. And that stereotype, it seems to be around OCD more than other diagnosis. I think mm -hmm. that sort of there's people think it's one thing and it's and it's not that thing it's loads of other things but it, loads it's so varied there are so many different ways that you can have ocd and ocd is the actual um what's it the the physical manifestation of you trying to cope with the intrusive thoughts with the busyness and of course a lot of people learn and figure out a way of not doing those physical you know, like the counting, the checking, the, the the moving, the cleaning, whatever it might be, it could it could literally be like positioning your clothes in a wardrobe a certain way. And I think a lot of people have OCD, but OCD only becomes a problem when it affects your day to day. Um, and your your thoughts are so busy where you are thinking negatively. And when you get that thought in your head and you start obsessing about it and then you believe it and then you might get a physical fight or flight reaction because you, you believe that threat to be true, um, whether or not that's to yourself or to somebody else. So, yeah, I... It, there are so many different ways that that OCD can manifest. And then on top of which there's pure O where it's all just in your head and you're just like looking not so normal on the outside. Yeah, everything's fine. When your brain is in absolute turmoil and war and destruction and nobody knows. And sometimes you don't even know. Sometimes that's just the normal, the normal setting of your brain is like the horrible, horrible chaos. It is not normal to think about stuff 
in a negative way constantly. It's not normal to feel anxious about something. It, that is not the default setting and we shouldn't have to put up with that. But nobody tells us that. What is actually normal and great is is being present, is living in the present moment and enjoying what's happening in front of you and accepting things that might go wrong or might go right. But when you're constantly flipping from being so terrified about the future and obsessing about the past, that's when your mental health is 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 like covering itself up and pretending that everything's okay. And it's okay to go through dips like that, but sometimes we don't even notice we're in a bad place until we're out of the bad place. And we're like, oh, fuck, I was awful back then. I had a really good realisation um, uh, yesterday because my boyfriend has OCD and he's going through a tough time at the moment. And as much as I was, you know, there and, and helping him out and also giving him all the advice that I'd been given, I walked away from it going like, fuck, like I have come so far. I don't think like that anymore. I'm so glad I'm not back there where I where I where I was. I'm I'm here. All of that work, all of that time and energy and money that I've put into managing my OCD and seeing my therapist and reading the books and reading the resources and fucking doing the exercises which I hate but they're so valuable is paying off like I can see it right in front of me it's really paying off so yeah it's it's pretty amazing but you know I'm still still there for Jacob we're still guiding him through to the to the beautiful plane of no anxiety yeah that's such a beautiful realization to be able to just look back and go hang on a minute look how far i've come we're so focused as humans on how far we have to go yes that, that never changed that there's always somewhere to go no matter what you what you're talking about right <laughs> yeah. but we never um we never kind of look back and go hang on a minute like i, I was fucked and i'm not now and i yes. should give myself credit for that like i'm i'm going to celebrate that and i'm going to you know what i mean like and yes i, I I've, I've done the work myself and yes I had a good therapist but they didn't do the work they just helped me do the work yeah, and I'm going to yeah, celebrate right that guided me um my therapist did that last week where she was like it's it's over a year now since we've been seeing each other and she she was like can you tell me what you went through and like what it was like back then to what it's like now and it was it was a really good reminder because again we forget it's it's so or like you think about the last job you had and how miserable you were in the last job and it's different now and I think it's really important to celebrate yourself and be like, you know, I did that. I've made that change. I've grown. Um, it's kind of the same with um, shame and embarrassment. And it's like, like you know, when you look at yourself back, like old pictures of yourself and you cringe, and you're like, oh my God, what the hell? Try and think about if you don't cringe, then then you haven't grown as a person. You're only cringing because you're so different now and you're seeing all the mistakes that you made and how how you're not doing those mistakes now. It's, yeah, it's very valuable. Yeah, whenever I think about that type of growth, right, I always wonder if it ever stops. So when mm. I was like, when I was 15, I thought I knew everything. And then 18-year-old <laughs> me looked at 15-year-old me and thought, God, what a dick. And then 21-year-old me thought about 18-year-old me and thought, oh, what a dick. And I wonder if... <laughs> If I'm going to be like 80 going, well, when I was 70, I was all right, knobhead. You know, like, will it yeah. just carry on? Like when you're an old person, you're still kind of like uh, still cringing over your 70 year old self when you're 80. Uh, I mean, I, th so this is like even the language you're using there, you're calling yourself a dick. You're calling yourself a knobhead. I've had to really try to stop doing that to myself because that's almost like giving yourself negative 
affirmations, your yourself now is believing that you were genuinely a dick then and you weren't a dick. You were just doing life the best way you can with the tools that you were given. Um, imagine your future 70 year old self looking back at you as a dick. That's not fair. I feel like we need to be kinder to ourselves. No, no, I don't feel, I know we need to be kinder to ourselves because we don't even realize we're doing it because it's funny. We, we, we rely on that humor to be like, oh yeah, fuck, I was a bitch. It's like, well, no, I wasn't. I was really stressed back then. I wasn't handling life properly. If things were different, then yeah, sure, maybe. Or like, you know, when you do something silly and you're like, oh, you stupid fucking... Co-. Oh, no, I can't say the C word. Is that much? Is that too much for them? No, no, no old bar there. Yeah. <laughs> okay, that's all Help right. yourself. Um, stupid fucking pun. And I've had to literally be like, no, 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 wait, stop. Like, like actually change that dialogue in my head because... I didn't notice I was doing it before. And it does affect us. It affects how we actually truly feel about ourselves on the inside. So now I'm like, oh, you're stupid. No, I'm like, mm, you know what? You're just really busy today. You're doing the best you can. Go on. Here we go. Have a pat on the back and then continue. But oh, it's so hard to do that. But I have noticed that I am loving myself a lot more because I'm changing that language and allowing myself to, to be who I was in the past without being like, you fucked up. You're an idiot. You did all these horrible, wrong, bad things. I don't think anyone does anything intentionally bad. Um, I think it's just like learning curves. I mean, I'm sure there are people that do intentionally bad stuff, but it's a small percentage of like absolute psychopaths. <laughs> and even then, like, I wouldn't even blame them, you know, it's like not their fault. They're just trying to feel something. Yeah, I mean, if we're all doing the best we can with what we've got, and it, and it just, I suppose it just means some people just haven't got that much to work with, right? And that's kind yeah. of, uh, yeah, definitely. But what, what, what a, lund- a wonderful, um, I mean, that's a, a classic therapy learning. Right? Oh, that's, yeah. Uh, that's something you've had to put the work into, Reed, over the years mm. by the sound of things. Yes. And I still don't, I still can't get my head around the like, put yourself in front of the mirror and do affirmations like that doesn't necessarily work for me. But, um, you know, changing that dialogue of every time I'm shitty about myself to myself, even if no one can hear, even if I sneak it sometimes. um, Yeah, that's been extremely helpful. And I feel really proud for doing so. Yeah, it it sounds like um, therapy was massive for you dealing with OCD and getting out of that place did you then as that started to sort of come together and as you started to learn a bit about yourself did you then have to clear up the addiction side of things how did they work parallel Mm. with each other mate so I'm I'm still working on the addiction side of things like addictions to lots of things not just substances and drugs and alcohol but also things like sex and binge watching tv and binge eating and exercise um because it's never really about the thing that you're addicted to it's about where your mind's at and what you're doing to your body and why you're doing that thing um i honestly therapy was life-changing for me game-changing it saved me on multiple occasions from awful awful thoughts from self-harm and suicide and actually my therapist said to to me the other week about um substance abuse is a form of self-harm which i never even really considered because it's always something that's been like really fun and amazing and I have the best time on but not when you don't have a healthy balance not when the recovery time and the recovery feelings that you get from the come down is so detrimental to your week and to your life that's when there is a problem there are some people out there that can have 
I don't want to say healthy, but that can have a good relationship with drugs and alcohol. But for the most part, most of us don't. Um, And that's just because we rely on it to escape our own minds, to get away from something. Um, And it's, it has been a hell of a journey. Again, I'm still struggling with it, but I can proudly say that in February, I will be one year cocaine free. Woo. Amazing. I think I'm like six years smoking weed free. I've still got some other ones to deal with, you know, but I am definitely, oh, it's my birthday this weekend. And I've chosen that I'm having a full drug free birthday weekend, which is, that is huge for me. I haven't had a drug free weekend birthday in like maybe 11 years. Wow. Yeah. Hey, maybe longer than that. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah, and it's, you, man. The whole talking about drugs thing for me sometimes feels a bit more shameful than talking about sex because it's still something that is really hard to admit. Um, I'm still trying to work on it with my therapist and and work on it with other people. And I think the good thing is, is noticing when you're hitting like the 30s, a lot of the friends that maybe you would go out with and party with, they're also going like, fuck, I can't do this anymore. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. So yeah, uh, shout out to anyone there that's that's dealing with, yeah, um, having a little bit too much of something, uh, even if it's covered in healthy eating or going to the gym, we can still have very negative addictions to going to the gym too much. I definitely went through a phase of healthy eating, which was actually just, I'm controlling my food intake. Um, again, very, very OCD and yeah, I'm feeling really, really good at the moment about where I am, which is nice. <laughs> yeah, Yay. and again, nice to be able to, uh, nice to be able to say it, right? Yes, it's uh... it's, oh, it's so liberating to just say it, to say it and like mean it and be honest with it, um, instead of trying to lie to my friends and be like, oh no, I'm not on a come down, you know, like that's not true. Like, yeah, I'm on a come down. I feel like shit. Like I'm, you know, I'm really got to sort my stuff out. Um, and even even so, alcohol, evil, evil alcohol, because it's it's so normalized in this country. It's everywhere. You can't escape from it. You go out for a meal, it's there. You go on a date, it's there. You have a cozy night in, it's there. Um, and alcohol, depending on how alcohol works for you and what you use it for, it can have really negative effects on you. You know, you can go through weeks of after just getting absolutely wasted, go through weeks of feeling so bad about yourself, which is unfair. You know, if it if it's not giving you joy and serving you a purpose, if you're literally spending days going like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. And I feel so awful. Then is, is it worth it? Is it is it time to take a change, have a break, really look at the reasons why you might be using that thing um, to to, yeah, to like get through. But easier yeah. said than done. It's it so is, hard. It? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And it's other people's the way other people respond. So I don't mm-hmm. I don't drink. I'm teetotal. I've been wow. for seven years um, since since I've had a drink. And I found when I stopped the the hardest thing it took me two years to start right of like yeah getting back into it and realizing i couldn't keep doing it and the hardest thing about it was other people's reactions yes other people go on go on just have just have one it's so easy the peer pressure is like secondhand nature and and you know you'll say no and then someone will go to the bar and buy you a drink and you're just like oh it's right in front of me it's oh it's it's, you know it's a bit (laughs) bit different with drugs not everyone has it it's not you're not going to have that your nan's funeral but 
it's um well you know some people might but yeah alcohol is really tough same as cigarettes apparently cigarettes are just as hard to quit as the same as heroin like that's mad mad crazy huh vapes vapes are even harder to quit vapes are so easy you don't even know that you're picking it up and putting it in your mouth oh my god phones my phone is my deepest hardest addiction i still can't be in a different room with it you know it has to be by me at all sides it has to be in my hand at all times it's the last thing i look at when i fall asleep it's the first thing i look at when i wake up that is not healthy yeah that's a tricky one isn't it the the phones i think everyone's um affected by that in some in some way I yeah think that's a that's a really tricky one to to deal with especially when like i'm gonna make a slight assumption here that a lot of your work is connected to your phone right and your Everything. online profile and yes exactly <laughs> so it's like how are you you're trying to earn a living <laughs> and not be on your phone so much that's like a really difficult um spot to kind of find yourself in huh? uh everything is on my phone it's um it, it's really hard to manage that work life balance especially because i am i am i live on my own so connection is everything to me and today i was like why are you still on whatsapp like why are you getting anxious about having to respond back to whatsapp messages put your phone down they can wait i did some really good things that helped me manage that um I took off all notifications on my phone, all of them. I anytime I get a notification, I'm like, get rid, no notifications from you. So that's that's everything. All of my social media, um, Instagram, WhatsApp. On WhatsApp, I got rid of the, you know, like red receipts and also last scene. It has been so helpful to manage that feeling of urgency when, of course, you want to look at a message. Oh my God, no, no, I have to reply because they've seen I've they've seen I've read it. And that took me a long time. Um, I don't know if you had a BlackBerry back in the day. I where... didn't know. So BlackBerry is like whenever you got a notification, it would it would flash a red light and, and you would get something. I got something called red light syndrome where I would see that red light everywhere in my, in my peripheral vision, in my eyesight, because nice. it was almost like you need to you need to do something on your phone something's there like calling you and so now I try really hard to just I'm going to get to my phone when I need to when I have the time I'm going to get to those messages when I have the time nobody is sitting there going why are you not responding unless it's days and days on end and they've asked you a question then just say hey I'm really overwhelmed at the moment I'm going to get back to you when I can but that took me a long long time and I still struggle with that yeah, it's a tough one. I think we're like we're almost destined to fail with that. I mean, the algorithm oh, is just—we are destined to fail. It, yeah, you, you dragged in, right? It's just like it's just—it is literally Instagram's job. It is Meta's job to keep you there for as long as possible. They—they they are doing everything in their power to learn how to grab you and drag you in. It is is honestly like gambling. It is it is like an addiction. I do not know how they're still getting away with it because it is becoming so detrimental to our mental health, to our sleep, to the way that we see our bodies and ourselves. And they're just sitting there laughing at us on mountains and mountains of money. I don't know if you if you ever watch the social social network. Mm. Is it the social network? The one on the documentary on Netflix? Oh, I know that I didn't watch that one. No, I couldn't. Social um, something. That blew my mind. Yeah, it was. It's really awful, but it's very, very eye opening when it comes to your laptops and social media and what you're engaging with. And if you need something to make you like go get the ick with your phone, definitely watch that. (laughs) That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. You, you kind of um, mentioned there, and it has come up already in our chat about um, how things like social media make us feel about our bodies and body image mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yeah. And that was interesting for me to get your take on that as well, because obviously your body is kind of your part of your brand and part of, you know, what you Absolutely. do and all the rest of it. Right. So mm-hmm. how do you feel even more pressure because of the work you do to have a body that is a certain thing or a certain way or a certain whatever that might be? I think there's always going to be pressure for for everyone, for all genders, all sexualities, because we're still living in a society that perpetuates a fantasy body that is extremely hard to achieve and to maintain. I mean, you have to be obsessed or miserable to have that body. It's not to, to be that ripped, to be that slim. It's not a happy, healthy way to be. And I'm sure that there are some people out there that have managed to achieve it, but I don't think that's very common for for the most of us. We are just shoved and force-fed all of this, not just like beautiful bodies, but the fat shaming and the body shaming and the wrinkle shaming. And especially if um, if you grew up in the 90s, the 90s and the way that their, their magazines, where it was like the the circle of shame and and they would have celebrities on the front cover circling parts of their body that was outrageous or uh i mean a really good person to follow is is alex light she posts a lot of great content about how things were and how bad it is and why why we feel the way that we do now and once you start to see that see that like that shaming about bodies then you get why you feel that way the reason why I was controlling my food is because I grew up looking at size zero models in magazines and you know Kate Moss and all these people that I admired and I thought were gorgeous but that were just really really underweight and very not 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 very healthy it's it's like we have to understand that our bodies change our bodies aren't made to fit into this cookie cutter mold of ripped with abs that like amazing skin and it's it's all a lie it's all a fantasy it's all photoshopping and even if it's not photoshopping it's choosing the best photo out of hundreds of photos and so on my instagram i try really hard to post realness to post um poses where i'm not sucking in my belly and i'm i'm really like enjoying my body for what it is i still i still struggle with it i still wake up some days and goes like oh but again i have to really go like no 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 what are, what are you thinking what are you saying to yourself why are you saying that to yourself and that's the hardest part is not looking at yourself in the mirror and saying negative stuff about yourself to yourself. That's so hard because it's just, it's second nature. We don't even realize we're doing it half of the time. We go like, oh God, I can't wear that. That looks terrible. And that's awful. We would never, ever say that to our loved ones, our friends, even a colleague. Why are we saying that to ourselves? We're literally bullying ourselves. And that's so horrible for us. We're bullying ourselves and not consciously realizing we're doing it and that just makes you feel a certain way when you are when you're naked in front of the mirror or when you're with another person it's different when you're on your own you can get away with it you can hide hide all of that shame and bad feeling but yeah trying really hard to promote more body positive and you know I don't want to say body positivity body honesty 
online because we just don't see enough of it. You know, I like I call myself an influencer. And but when you think of influencer, you think of the stereotype influencer that is perfect all the time. And that is so dangerous for us to see and to look up to because we just we think that's real when it's not real. There is so much more to Instagram. Instagram is a portfolio. It's not somebody's day to day, even if they market it that way. It is the best parts of somebody. Um, and I wish people put more real stuff up, you know, real stuff about their mental health, about how their body's feeling, about how they look. Um, luckily, I'd created all my followers lists, so I get a lot of that goodness. But before I didn't, and it took time to unfollow people that made me feel unhappy or inadequate about myself. And it took time to follow people that I was like, oh, that's nice. That makes me feel good. Because sometimes the feeling of, jealousy and feeling shit about yourself feels stronger and more exciting than something that feels good it's like we love awful news we love like shocking news and when it comes to something really nice and sweet we're like eh, boring and we need to change that up because having having yourself surrounded by all of that negativity does make an impact on us even if we don't want to believe it even if we're the happiest soul like it yeah. it will still get to you at some point, even subconsciously. Yeah, that makes so much sense that we're kind of almost um, drawn to it in a way. And I think particularly if you suffer with mental health issues or mental illness or anything like that, we're kind of used to beating ourselves with sticks, right? We're yes. kind of used to finding opportunities. My wife always says about me, she can tell if I'm in a dip because the mm. way I start to talk about myself, the way, particularly with like body image and stuff like that. It's always yeah. just my language changes. And she's like, you know, yeah. are, you, you know are you okay? Do you need an early night? Because like you, what you've said is not cool. You know, like it's, uh, oh, that's it's something beautiful. that she she spots in me. And I, but I do think like, mm. yeah, because it can feel a little bit sometimes with mental health that mm -hmm. if it wasn't one thing, it would be something else, right? So you yeah. get control over one aspect of it and then you go, oh, right, okay. So yeah, I'm speaking to myself better, but now I'm just like fucking eating so much sugar, my teeth are going to fall out. So, I need, <laughs> so now I need to address that. And then you address that and then it find out it's something else. And it can be a bit like, um, was it like whack-a-mole, you know? Where yeah, like, it just feels yeah. endless sometimes, but mm. like you will get down to the bottom of it. And it's also important to note that we can't rely on our partners and other people to tell us that we're not doing so well. We have to take responsibility to recognize that ourselves because we, we, if we don't do that, then it can get out of control before we even realize it and then affect the people around you. Um, I was extreme. I've been extremely codependent in a lot of my relationships because I was just like, I don't want to say play victim, but definitely like, oh, I feel sad. Make me feel better. Like, it's your responsibility. Why are you not making me feel better? And it wasn't until I really realized that actually, shit, I got to do this on my own. And it makes our relationship happier when I look after myself, when I'm not hoping that my boyfriend's going to give me a hug after a big, long, like, cry and I get to stay with him for days on end because it doesn't mean I sort out my own shit. I just ignore it in that nice bubble. Um, I mean, it is, per let me rephrase, um, partners are allowed to be there to comfort you, but we have to put the hard work in ourselves. Otherwise, it just becomes such a strain on the relationship. Mm, it really does. I used to do that. I used to, mm. when I was kind of in around crisis point, I used to really act up and I used to act yeah, up. Yeah, because... acting up. That's mm. exactly it. Yeah, it's like testing. 
Yeah, yeah. And it's like, I want, I'm trying to, I don't know how to ask for help. I don't know how to ask for help because I don't know what's happening to me. So maybe if my behavior gets so bizarre, someone will step in and do the hard work for me. Yes. But yeah. people don't know you're asking for help if you don't ask for help, right? So they just think you're just being a dick. So yeah. it, it becomes this sort of, so then you think, well, I'm going to have to raise my game here, you know, and I'm going to oh, have to really yes. start to get attention. Or and- like, again, it's, it's like, um, yeah, you're you're creating a test. You say something because you're waiting for them to get, to make you feel better, to self soothe, and give you the answer that you want. But actually, that it's not a very nice question, um, especially if it's just like you know, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Um, would you ever get back with your exes? You know that kind of a question, and you're hoping that they're going to be like, oh my god, no, like you are the only person for me. But giving them that kind of a question is that acting up part. It, that can be really, yeah, it can really go south and it can make the situation worse. And most of the time it does because you're not really asking for the answer that you want because one, even if you get that answer, you might not believe it anyway. So it's almost like you're you're kind of creating an argument. You're, you're wanting to fight. Um, Jacob and I, we have this thing now where we say, if, if one of us asks a question, we're just like, is that a check-in or is that, are you checking in? Where it's like, if I what answer if whatever answer I say, is it gonna make a difference? Is this something that I'm just gonna soothe you with and you're not gonna sort this out by yourself? It's so hard though. It's yeah. so hard. I love that, mate. I love how you know, when you can get to a point with someone where you have that like almost a, a shorthand. Mm-hmm, yeah. So it's like, you know, I know you well enough to know what might be going on and let's mm-hmm. just let's just cut the crap and like what what do what do we want out of this right do you know what I mean mm-hmm. are, are you checking in or like how much of me do you need how much help do you need right now yes any? and, it, it, and it's really nice to there's no games right no guessing yeah then and the same with um we're trying really hard at the beginning of, of, of one of us venting the other person being like what do you need right now do you just need someone to listen to you or do you want advice um, especially because if we if we want to help the situation, some of us can just go into fix it mode and not listen, and that can be really difficult. Um, especially if you've got any any parents or friends that are on the spectrum, and they almost like don't listen to the emotional part, and they're not there for you, and they're just like, oh, well, that's easy. You just need to do this, this, and this, and the problem is solved. And you're like, oh. Well, actually, no, I just kind of just want you to listen to me and give me some sympathy and tell me it's going to be okay because I know I'm going to sort it out by myself. But in the in the moment, you don't know that. Actually, even asking at the beginning of event, it's still hard to know. It's sometimes it's still like, I don't know. Can you do both? Like <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing because I'm so bad at that. Yeah. You know, like you get that like fixing mentality. And I think especially when like, when you've done a bit of therapy and you've got mm-hmm. a good, you know, you know, you know, a few things, right? So oh, yeah. Of, so, you think you know so, the world. <laughs> so, so, so as someone starts talking, you're a bit like, oh, I, I could solve this problem. Watch yes! me go. And you think, oh, hang on. I've made this all about me now. Yes. And my, my mm-hmm. poor wife is still there. Her, her, she's still got her. She hasn't even managed to get her, her rant off her chest yet. And I'm there. Right? Going, it's not even at the end. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like, oh, I've been here before. I've got this. And it's just <laughs> <Bless> like, <you. laughs> yeah. Oh, you know, like, hmm, so behind me. And it's like, it's so bullshit because we could easily fix a problem that somebody else is having. But as soon as it comes to ourselves, it's impossible. And we need to give that same understanding and empathy. But it's so hard to do. It's so hard to just stop and take a beat and listen and really feel what that person is feeling. Um, You know, really 
really thinking like fuck like god that must be really hard for you sometimes that's all people want to hear is just like that sounds really hard like you are you are doing the best you can it sounds like you're coping as but of course it's going to be hard um and mostly people just want to be listened to especially like in arguments as well no one's listening to no one in an argument it's the hardest thing to not act on your emotional arousal and fight back than to diffuse the situation we all go into the same mode that we've all like been brought up with especially if you had quite chaotic or like i don't what's the term uh verbally violent parents it's so easy to want to fight back sorry one moment <clears throat> am i okay okay um it's so easy to go into protective mode and fight back but the hardest thing, the stronger thing to do is to be able to control that anger, to control that emotion and just ask more questions. Be like, okay, it's, I can even feel myself now. Like I can feel my clenching jaw just being like, okay, like, okay, what makes you say that? Like, why are you feeling this way? Especially when it's something that's like so opposite to your opinion. Oh, but in doing so, I feel like, I can handle an argument now. Well, not always. Sometimes I have the bad days, especially when it's like to do with periods and hormones. Oh, you're fucked. You're fucked. There is no waiting. There is no thinking. It is just like, fuck. But being able to stop yourself and take a breather, take a beat, or being able to be like, I can see we're going to have an argument here. Like, I, I've heard what you've said. I'm going to go away, think about this, and then I'm going to come back. But fuck me. <laughs> Someone needs to have a medal if they can do that because that's so hard. Yeah, I mean, listening's a skill, right? It's a skill to practice. Yes. And it is something you have to try hard to get good at and not jump in and fix. And I think that's a lot of the problem with the conversation around mental health is a lot mm-hmm. of people I don't necessarily want to hear it because they're like, Well, I don't oh, know. Yeah. To, I don't know what to say. I don't know. Mm-hmm. If you disclose something to me, I don't I don't know what to say. And it's mm-hmm. and like exactly like you just said, Reed, sometimes you just have to say, like, that sounds really shit. And I'm yeah. sorry like, you're going I'm, through I'm that. here. I can give you a hug. Tell me more. Um, I I got a really amazing book which was just called How to Listen, Hear and Validate. And it was it was not the easiest read. It did feel like going back to school, but it was so fucking interesting. It kind of brought out all the things that you shouldn't say and all the things that you should say. And I was going, oh, my God, I I say that. Oh, my God, I do that. No, that's not what I want to do. So, yeah, changing that language and being able to actually listen to people has also helped me give better advice. When I know the full story, when I hear the full picture, I can really see it from an outside perspective and go like, okay, would you, would you like my thoughts? Would you like to hear my advice on this? Sometimes they just say no. Most of the time they say yes. <laughs> yeah. Is that, is that really one of the first ever like big self-help books was that like men are from Mars, women are from mm. Venus or something like that. And the underlying principle throughout that whole book is that men need to just stop trying to fix everything. Women like to talk and men like to fix. And that seemed to yes. be the, the one big takeaway from that. that whole oh, that's book. so interesting. Because yeah. I, I grew up with a mum that was a fix-it mum. And and that, yeah, I, I think it just, it just depends on the person, right? And I think that's probably why I'm so emotional and em- empathetic and really feeling for other people because I had a mum that didn't really connect with emotion that didn't that was that was extremely binary and everything had to be factual and again very fix it 
so yeah it's fascinating what you get from your parents <laughs> yeah very much so. I always think it like it's a bit like a pendulum right so it's yes. just, it just goes back and forth so whatever whatever you've got then you're trying to undo that and then if you have kids then they're gonna try to undo what you've done yes it just goes it's back just and yeah forth, back and forth mate. yeah oh that it's, fun generational trauma <laughs> that's it mate that's it we're, we're, we're coming up to the to the hour and I know you've got a birthday to prep for so I'm gonna let you go yeah. but I wanted to um ask you one more thing you've just reminded me actually because you mentioned your mum and earlier you mm-hmm. meant that you guys have been going to therapy together yes How's this has been going wild well it was not fucking easy oh my god it probably like some of the hardest things I've had to do is go to therapy with my mum my mum and I have had a really close relationship for so long and then we had an argument and it just all broke it all unraveled um and we couldn't get it back we couldn't get our relationship back it felt like we were strangers and we were so frustrated with each other and so it was just an absolute miracle that my mum agreed to going to therapy because I think also she recognised that she was like, we can't fix this ourselves. And it's been a really interesting journey. It's been a lot of emotion and a lot of, of course, because it wasn't just the one argument that did it. It would have been um, years of not talking about issues and putting up boundaries and understanding each other and hearing each other. So yeah, it's been fascinating. Um, And I would highly recommend going to therapy with your parents. And I think it gets to maybe about the sixth session that things start feeling okay. But that is, until then, it it is hard work. It is hard work to sit there listening to it all through gritted teeth because I ended up feeling like a child again. I felt like a kid again. Um, So yeah, it, I mean, it's made incredible waves. Like we're we're on talking basis. We're planning lunches together. So yeah, I'm very very excited to see where this goes. But I would yeah would recommend it with anyone if you can convince them to go. <laughs> yeah, I suppose like I mean it. it sounds like you're both really brave for doing it. Thank and I always you. think when we're when we're talking about um, you know trying to communicate with someone else, mm-hmm. it's all we're all like we're all the lead in our own movie right and everyone's yes. thinking the same thing so you're like right I'm character to, to sit down with this person and i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna say this and i'm gonna say this and then but they're having the same thoughts about you right so as soon as like mm-hmm. your mum says something it's like oh shit yeah i didn't really think of it that i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to fucking eat some humble pie myself yeah right? <laughs> exactly because i was so like oh yeah yeah i'm all in the right she's all in the wrong and then when you actually sit down you're like oh fuck like i i went through a real stage of um bad person feelings like OCD I'm a bad person I'm a terrible evil person I can't believe I was ever like that that's nasty I mean that's for me that's that's where my OCD brain goes um and then it's not until it just it is hard work but so valuable I've learned so much to bring back into my therapy as well my solo therapy with that Although, like I said, I wouldn't recommend two therapists at the same time. That can it can be very overwhelming. Sometimes it's just a lot. Yeah, that is a lot, right? That mm-hmm. is a lot. Sometimes with therapy, I always think it's about knowing when to stop. Yeah. Or, or when to give yourself yeah. time to process the learnings before you go in again. So I started therapy because I was in crisis. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, which I, is when I, most people go. Mm, and mm-hmm. then you kind of, you get to a place where you kind of like, you're, you're dealing with your shit and you're on your journey and you're learning stuff. And then it's like, well, I'm going to keep going because I want to find out what makes me tick. I want to mm-hmm. find out about myself. I want to dig in. And it's more, ex- more of an exploration rather than a fix. But then it kind of gets a bit to the point of like, yeah, when am I 
am I learning all about myself to avoid having to put any of this stuff into action, right? Is yeah. this my, is therapy distracting me from actually doing the work? You is know? therapy like, the self-soothe? Is therapy yeah, the OCD exactly technique that, where man. I'm like, yeah. I don't have to deal with this. I just get to, you know, let it all out of my therapist. <laughs> yeah, 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 you're right. I definitely yeah. have an addiction problem to my therapist because when I feel like right. I'm not going to see her for a week, I'm like, oh my God, I'm freaking out. What am I going to do for a whole week? It's like, you're going to survive, babe. You're going <laughs> to be okay. Uh, you just reminded me... Um, this year was a bit wild for my mental health because I had an ADHD test and that came back negative. It came back that I didn't have ADHD, which I am going to complain about because I fucking definitely have ADHD. Like it is very clear to me now. But they said I didn't have ADHD, but they said I had cluster B personality traits, which is basically a bunch of fun personality disorders. And of course, as we are finding out personality disorders are getting quite dated and quite old and don't really relate to people anymore. So um, in my cluster, there's 10 personality disorders and, and they're separated into three categories. And cluster B is um, borderline personality disorder, histrionic personality disorder, antisocial personality disorder, and something else. But I can't remember what the fuck that is. So yeah, that that really hit me hard. Um, where I genu and it was bad timing because it was at the time where I was just ending things with my ex, and so he used that and was like, "That's why we've got all of these problems is because of you and all your personality disorders." And now I more think about it, and I'm like, you know what? I think everyone has personality disorders in some form. I think everyone's on the spectrum somewhere. Everyone's probably got neurodiverse ADHD um dyslexia like eh, eh, mental health issues but it just so depends on how that affects you and how much it prevents you from enjoying life and doing your day-to-day -day. if you aren't enjoying your shit go and get professional help because it can change your whole world you do not have to sit in silence you do not have to suffer and be miserable and spend half your time crying or feeling rubbish like that is not acceptable you deserve more than that please go and seek help and speak to somebody because it's just yeah and just because you have therapy once doesn't mean you're cured you might have to go back to therapy a few times i mean Try them all. Like therapy's a buffet. Try different therapists and different types of therapy. Like I'm in Gestalt therapy at the moment and it's fascinating. I love it. Yeah, that's awesome, man. And yeah, it, it makes so much sense. And things get really complicated, I think, when we start putting names to them. You know, mm -hmm. like, like the word disorder. The that I'm uncomfortable with the word disorder when you're right. talking then. It's like, you know, what? Who, who is anyone to tell anyone else that like something's disordered? How much of this stuff is a perfectly normal reaction to a, a world that's not always very nice to live in, you know, where horrible things happen? Like it's uh, especially I'm histrionic personality disorder is so, so dated and it was targeted at women and th th some of the criteria you have to hit was wearing inappropriate clothing talking inappropriately about sex you know it's just like that's fucking me to a t but why does that make it a disorder because you're fucking uncomfortable with it mm. so crazy 
So yeah, it, you're right. The whole term thing, labels are there and they're good if you need a label. If you have imposter syndrome, if you feel like getting a diagnosis can be helpful because I was like that. I needed those, di those diagnoses to believe, diagnoses, diagnoses, to believe that I had those conditions to be able to feel capable to tackle them. But for the most part, they can just really fuck people up and they get it wrong and you get the wrong help for them. So you just kind of have to, if you feel you've got something, go with that and and seek help and see if it works. And if it doesn't work, then try something else, you know? Yeah, that's it, mate. That's it. We kind of like, we got right to the end and then nearly opened a too, massive can of worms there. There's too mate. many things to say about mental health. I oh, think you just, I'll just have to come back on. <laughs> mate, let's give it give it a few months. We'll run it back. Yeah, I love that, mate. Thank you so much for your time, Reed, And thank you so much for um, staying with this. And um, yeah, it's been a pleasure, mate. I'm so glad we did it. Thank you. Thank you. On. We made it on a Friday, baby. That's it, mate. And have a fantastic yeah. birthday weekend as well, mate. Thank you. Have a great, you. a great time. I can't wait. Thank you for having me on this pod. I really appreciate it. And all the good you do with talking about mental health, you just got to keep doing it because people, it, it changes lives. People will listen to this and go, oh, fuck. It's like free therapy. We love it. <laughs> oh, mate, that's kind of you to say. Thank you very much. A big up to the proper mental podcast. A proper mental podcast. <laughs>